is life. Let there be light in our lives this morning. We pray as we listen to your word, as we open our mind and our understanding to receive what your spirit wants to say to us, whether it's through my voice or whether it's through the gentle whisper of your Holy Spirit as you go through this place and speak into our hearts. I pray over your people that there would be light. There would be light in our understanding to believe what you've spoken. Light in our hearts to appropriate the power of your word that it wants to go to work, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we pray for light those who sit in darkness your word says have seen a great light and the light of the gospel the light of your goodness the light of your countenance the light of your word is a great light it can pierce the darkness it can pierce through what we sit in and what we put up with and what we have taken on. Lord, I pray that your light would come into our hearts and that we would move into this wonderful place of life that you've provided for us. And all God's people said, all God's people said, let's give him a big shout and an amen in this place. We love you. You've only got good things for us, Jesus. You really have. Wonderful. And let's show our appreciation again for our musicians. We got Freddie on the drums. Let's give Freddie a big shout. Absolutely wonderful. Well done, Freddie. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And do you know what? Faye and I were talking just this week. Um, the youth obviously have gone away uh, to spring camp and they're having an amazing time there and uh, Faye was just talking about you know when she was in the youth here and uh, you know she was involved with the musicians and the singers and the impact that it had on her life and we were actually talking about Johnny McCann Johnny come on stand up your moment spotlight on Johnny the hero do you know do you know some of you might not know John but uh, John's been here for a really long time. And um, that's, not, that's not in a derogatory sense. John's been here faithfully. And he's a guy like many of the people up here and many people in the church. You know, just comes in and, and serves faithfully. And you would never really pay much attention to John if you don't know him. But um, Faye just, just was talking about John. And uh, just saying about the hours that he would spend with the young musicians, just inputting into their lives, encouraging them. When they'd hit all those bum notes, you know, he would be there telling them and showing them that they could, they could do what, what they wanted to do. And just being a teacher, a patient teacher. So do you know what? Isn't it great that you can use your life to help somebody else? That's what the church is about. It's not rocket science. You know, when you've got God's love in your heart, you know, you just want to help people. You just want to bless people and you just want to bring them, even if it's just one step on, you, you want to use your life to do that. So it was great, you know, just to, just to think about that. And do you know when you, you touch somebody's life, when you 
use your life to be a blessing to somebody else today. It may just, you know, seem to you and to them at that point in time very insignificant, very mundane. But all of those, all these years on, we had a conversation just this week about John, about John, because God, you see, used him to impart into Faye's life and also other people's lives that are not here now, but are doing a great work for God somewhere else. But John had a part in that. So we thank God for that. And I think it's good. It's good to remember that and um, just to give, give thanks for that. Wonderful. Well, we're talking about how God transforms our lives. You know, I've said that, you know, when God leads us, he always wants to lead us from an inferior place in our lives to a superior place in life. He's got wonderful things in store for every one of us. And I love how God just meets us in the nitty gritty grime of life. He doesn't, you know, just set up this spectacular situation to meet us there. He gets right into the nitty-gritty moments of life where we least expect to find him. God is there. God is ready to surprise us. And we're going to read today um, from Luke chapter 5, and we're going to see how God, how Jesus actually transformed a situation that was really unproductive. We're going to see how Jesus took hold of a situation and made it abundant. How Jesus not only took a life situation that was really unproductive and, and made it abundant, but how also he touched and changed and took Peter on a journey from the place at which he was at and promised him to take him and make him into the person that he destined him to be. Let's read from Luke chapter 5. We're going to read from one, uh, verse 1 through to verse 11. It says this, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret, saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word... I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And their nets, or their net, was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. 
or I, as some other translations put it, I will make you a fisher of men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know, back then, just like now really, people had very fixed ideas about God. Very, very fixed religious ideas about God, just like today. Back then, people just thought that God dwelt in a temple. They thought that he was tabernacled in the Ark of the Covenant and hidden away behind a thick veil. That's what history told them. That's what the religion of the day told them, that God was confined. God was constricted. God was hidden away behind bricks and mortar. If you wanted to get to God, you had to go to the temple. And there was nothing wrong with that. That was their heritage. That was their history. And that was the form to which they associated God with. He was confined. He was restricted. He was hidden away and, and enclosed and tabernacled in the temple. But for them, he wasn't out where the people's needs were. There was a great divide between what was sacred and what was secular. What was sacred was in the temple. What was sacred and holy and, and everything that was associated with God was there in the religious icons, buildings of the time. That's where God was. But there was a great divide between the sacred and the secular. God wasn't in the real nitty-gritty mundane issues of life until Jesus turned up. John, the apostle, in his opening gospel says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He said, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God sent to us. John understood that the divide between that which was sacred and that which was secular was completely broken down when Jesus arrived. Because Jesus, when in his opening message in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And then he lists everybody in that, in that message from Isaiah who he's going to reach. And as a result of declaring that word from Isaiah, out of the, out of the synagogue he goes and he begins to walk down the highways and the byways of life. And we see God getting his hands dirty. We see God getting his feet dusty. We see God sitting down with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. We see God sitting in homes, eating lunch with people in order to seek and save them. And it got God a terrible reputation. A terrible reputation with the religious of that day. They criticized him. They condemned him. And they said, look at him. He's one that associates with sinners. He's one that sits with tax collectors. Those that are associated with 
Rome that want to overthrow our nation. He sits with them. He counsels with them. He talks with them. How is this? God got a terrible reputation when he began to step over the lines, when he began to break all the rules, when he began to break out of what history was holding him in. And he walked down the street. And he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers, he cast out demons, and the kingdom of God was no longer entombed in a, in a sacred place. It was, it was right there in the secular, it, on, on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and wherever Jesus went, people thronged to him, normal people that would never be in that institutionalized religion of the synagogue and they thronged around him. There wasn't room for him. They'd break up roofs to get to him because the kingdom of God was flowing out to every man, woman, and child. A break between that which was sacred and secular. And on this day, Jesus is in a boat I mean, that in itself is sacrilegious. You've got to understand the time in which Jesus was living. This was just absolutely detestable to the people that were around him, that wanted to control him. You know, we, we read about Jesus with rose-colored glasses, but Jesus was a radical. Jesus, you know very often had to make a mess in order to speak a message. But he wasn't afraid to make a mess in order to deliver a message and to bring God's blessing. And sometimes, you know, he would create chaos. But by just preaching the truth, not just to create chaos, to create, to create it, you know, to cause trouble. But he was a radical he really was. He's sitting in a boat. It's absolutely sacrilegious. You just don't do that as a, as a teacher. You just don't do that as a messenger of God. You need to be serious. You need to be hot-headed. You need to be sweating. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, John, John's announcement of Jesus' coming was right for its time. But then his head got taken off and Jesus was released and now he's sitting in a boat and he's not out in a wilderness eating wild honey and locusts and wearing camel's hair. He sat in a boat resting, just talking to the people. Like this situation shows us. Completely sacrilegious. It's something that, a scene that you would never associate with God if you've got a religious mentality. You would never ever believe that God would condescend to sit in a boat to minister to people, but he did. You see, God will always surprise you. He'll always break the rules. Any, any kind of confinement or restriction that you try to bring down on him, he'll just bust apart. My grandfather always used to say to me, my boy, he was from Ebervale, and I was from Ebervale, and he had a good Welsh accent. My boy, never forget, God never repeats himself. God never repeats himself. We repeat ourselves all the time, my boy, but God never repeats himself.
himself. He doesn't have to. He's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. All-powerful. He doesn't have to repeat himself. He really doesn't. Everything's spontaneous. Everything's new. He can't be confined. He can't be restricted. What he does in one generation, he doesn't have to do that again. He can do something brand new. And he ministers to this mass of people. But you know what I love about Jesus? That this wonderful story shows us is that, you know, He's not enamored by the number of people that are around him. You know, very often, maybe, you know, it's human nature really to, re- you know, to really blag it up. I heard all of, the- I-, I spoke to all of these people and all of these people listened to me because I'm important. Listen to Twitter and Facebook and, and, and uh, all of these other Forms of, of, you know, mediums. And we promote ourselves. And we promote what we do. And we promote what the audiences are into. And how they listen to us. And we, we gain our self-approval from that. You know, Jesus was never enamored by the number. He never lost sight or sensitivity to the need right beside him, the individual that needed help, and that was Peter. Oh, it would have been so easy to focus on the multitude and miss the need of the man in the boat, but not Jesus. So after dismissing the multitude, he says to Peter, doesn't he? He says, hey, let's go out to deeper water, Peter. And as they get out to that Deeper place, he says, let's throw the nets over. And immediately, Peter's past comes up before Jesus because Peter had toiled all night. Peter had worked hard. Peter had used his own strength and stressed out. And as a result of using his own strength in a good work, had produced nothing. And he says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. The word toil means to become weary, weighed down in an unproductive work. And he uses that word. He says, Lord, I'm weary. I've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. And he's painting the picture about why they shouldn't do what Jesus has just commanded to do. And then suddenly there's a spark of faith in his heart. Nevertheless, at your word, Peter recognized and understood something about God's word that was different and separated it from every other word. At your word, Jesus, I will let down the net. Jesus had said, let down the nets, plural. Peter said, I'll take the net, singular, and I'll put it down. You see, Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew what was going to arrive at his command. The moment when Peter let down his net, he knew what was going to come into that net. That one net wasn't going to be able to hold 
what he had command over. I'll let down the net. He let down the net and suddenly there was a haul of fish and the net began to break. You know the story. And he had to signal to his friends. It would have been better if they'd have let down the nets. Now they have got a whole situation on their hands of abundance that they can't even take it in. They're banging it in their boat and the boat is sinking. The boats are sinking. And suddenly there's an event. Jesus had taken Peter back into a place of failure and showed him that he was Lord of it. Lord of it. And sometimes Jesus will do that in areas of our lives. I've tried this so many times. I've tried to be different. I've tried to be productive. I've tried to be a different person. But there's never been any abundance on it. No, that's because you've used your strength to change it. You've used your intelligence and your reasons to make a difference. And they haven't worked. Or they've been inferior. They, they've missed the mark. And then Jesus comes along and he says, come on. I'll come with you this time. And at my word, everything will change. And you won't exert your strength. You won't have to even use your reasons of intelligence to sort this issue out. At my word, I'll bring the abundance that you require in the specific area of your life. This message is not just about a man catching fish. This shows us the wonderful nature and the person and the power of God in Christ towards every person. It's an announcement. This, this situation, this circumstance in Peter's life is not just an isolated event for us to locate in the Bible and say, oh, that's nice. nice. No, this is an, an, an announcement. An, 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 an announcement. Right? To everybody, to every one of us, that God can come into the most unproductive areas of our lives and bring out abundance just by a word. Just by a word. And he shows them. You see, you've got to listen to him. We've got to listen to him. Because he's very specific in the way that he speaks. If he says nets, N-E-T-S, better use nets. Don't, you, don't use your N-E-T, net. Better use nets. But Jesus goes with it. He doesn't correct Peter. He just lets the miracle correct Peter. You know, Peter would never be able to enter a boat after this day in the same way as he'd entered it when he allowed Jesus to use it to speak to the multitudes. He'd never be able to handle a net again the same way. These were the common tools of his day, a dirty, smelly boat. It was, it, these were the articles that he used to, to provide a living for himself and those that depended upon him. They're just common things, a boat and a net. And yet in the hand of Jesus, the most common thing becomes something wonderful and something glorious and something beautiful. Peter would never ever be able to go in a boat or handle a net without the striking memory 
of when that boat began to sink. He'd never be able to hold a net without thinking, I held a net once when Christ directed me to drop it, and that net broke under the weight and the heave of fish that were in it. Do you know some of the greatest extremities in our lives can become the beautiful opportunities that God is waiting to envelop? And those extremities that we face in life, those circumstances that seem so hard and severe can be moments in our memory that are striking where God comes into and shows us His Lordship and His power to change them. And that's what these these moments were to Peter, I believe, many, many years after when he'd see maybe a boat on the sea, when he'd see men hauling the nets. You see, God, when he touches something, even the most natural, the most mundane, the most common article of your life, he can use it as something of beauty that will bring great blessing in your future. This happened to me. I wasn't going to tell this story, but let me tell it. This happened to me. You know, I love riding my bike. God likes me riding my bike, which I'm really pleased about. And behind me riding my bike, actually, God's behind it anyway. And um, I remember, you know, I used to have this, um, this really quite expensive downhill bike. And uh, I loved it. I loved, you know, I'd go up the mountain middle of the night and I made this light. And, oh, man, what an adventure throwing yourself down a mountain in the middle of the night and just enjoying, you know, life and, and thinking, wow, I just did something that nobody else has done. And I remember this one night and uh, I was chatting with a guy. We were up there together and we were going down and he said, you know, he said, I've, I've read something online that that particular frame is susceptible to cracking in the webbing around the, around the suspension, the rear suspension. I said, oh, yeah, okay, well, you know, mine's fine. I took it home. I went in the garage. Lo and behold, there's a crack in the weld, in the welds on the frame. I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, what can I do? Do I get it welded? How can I get it repaired? So I take it to a bike shop that I'd never been in. And uh, I went to the guy. I said, oh, listen, I said, I've got a crack in my frame. Could you just have a look at it? Um, I'm just afraid, really, that. You know, if I'm going down the mountain, the the frame breaks, it could be dangerous. So he said, yeah, okay, I'll come and have a look. And under my breath, he came in the van. Under my breath, I said, Lord, please give me favor. You know, I didn't even know what I was asking for. Serious. I didn't even realize why I prayed that prayer. Give me favor with this man. He comes in and he looks at it. And he says, do you know what? This bike is bomb-proof. It really is. If I mentioned the name of the bike, you could see. I mean, they throw it down everything. It never breaks. He said, but there is a hairline crack. He said, you could ride this. And he said, it's never going to break. You've got no worries. And, but then he said this. He said, but do you know what? I might be able to pull a favor. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, I might be able to pull a favor for you. With the, with the manufacturer. I said, all right. He said, he said, bring the bike in the shop. 
And I've never met the guy in my life. He said, I'll, I'll make a couple of calls. So anyway, he rings the manufacturer, which was an American company. And uh, he puts the phone down. He says, hey, it's your day for a favor. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, oh, okay. What do you mean? He said, well, see that, see that brand new frame there? The, 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 I think it was like, this was like 2016. He said, or 2015. He says, see that 2015 latest edition frame? Two and a half thousand pound just for the frame. I said, yeah. He said, well, that's now yours. I said, really? I said, that is favor, isn't it? He said, yeah, it is. That's favor. I said, wow, nothing like this has ever happened to me. He said, right. He said, well, he said, what I can do for you is I'll take all the bits off this bike and put them on that, on that new frame if you want. I said, oh, wow, that'd be great. He said, it'll be 120 pounds. I said, okay. I said, oh, I said, decisions like this, I said, I usually ask my wife about. <laughs> no, seriously. Well, I mean, we'll talk about five pound spending it or 10 pound. That's just the way it works for us, right? So 120 quid, I said, usually I ask my wife about this and I'm not sure, um, you know, in our budget, whether we've, uh, he said, oh, well, do you want to do it yourself? He said, you can do it yourself. I, and I'm thinking, well, I am getting a two and a half grand frame here. Probably best if he did it. So I thought, oh, do you know what? On this occasion, I'm sure Faye won't mind me going and saying, right? So I said, okay, I'll do it. I got out of the shop, rung Faye up. She was like over the moon, right? Couldn't believe it. Just like shocked, completely shocked. And um, I said, oh, Faye, it's 120 quid. Oh, that's fine. Look, we'll get it from somewhere. Brilliant. So anyway, I come back to the office, right? And again, this doesn't happen. Right? This doesn't happen. It's not normal. It's not normal. Right? There's, a, there's an envelope on the desk. I'm thinking, oh. And it says, Pastor Dave on it. So I open up, I open up the envelope, and there's money in the envelope. Now, guess how much was in there? Yeah. You get it. 120 quid. I, I, honestly now, right? Serious. I... That, honestly now, right, that, <laughs> honestly, it does your head in. It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't, it, it may never happen again in my life. It doesn't matter. It does not matter if I never have another miracle in my life. It really doesn't. Because I know, right, that he came into the boat right? And he did it. He did it. And I thought that he would never be interested in, in me riding a bike down a mountain. I never thought, right? It's too secular. God is sacred. God is holy. God is, you know, in what we do in, in something like this this morning. And this is vital. This is so important. But you know what? God is in your Monday as he is in your Sunday, and, and do, you, do you know, in all honesty, right, I didn't care about the bike. I didn't care about the bike then. That night, I could not go to bed 
And, and I just thought, my God, it was almost like, it was almost like Peter experienced. I thought, I don't deserve this. I really don't. And uh, I remember years after when I, when I sold the bike, a lady actually came to buy it. She was, she was into racing and um, that was the ilk of the bike, right? And I, I couldn't let her have the bike without telling her about the testimony. I said, let me tell you about this bike. It's got a bit of a history. Do you know, Peter's in the boat and he gets this incredible encounter in how Jesus comes into the failed moment of his life, namely the night before where he couldn't produce anything. And he saw the abundance, he saw the power of God work in a situation that he couldn't, he couldn't work out. And there was great abundance. But the next question that arouses in Peter's heart, that awakens in Peter's heart, is if you can do this for my business, can you do it for my life? And he's, he, he, he hits a wall. And he says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve you being here. I don't deserve this level of generosity. I don't deserve this level of care. I'm happy for you to minister to masses of people, but to come to me as an individual and show me this level of care and this level of interest, I'm not used to this. Depart from me. And Peter's just completely absorbed in who he'd been and where he was. And do you know what? Jesus doesn't even have a conversation about all of that old history that Peter brings up in front of his face. He just tells him where he's going and what he's going to make him into. He says, I will make you. Don't be afraid. Don't let your fears rise up. In this, in this moment, Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. I will transform you. I will change you. I will enable your life to be everything that I've designed it to be. And when people see it, they're going to be attracted to it. And they're going to ask you how and why and when. And as a result of you just being who I've created you to be, it's going to draw others to you. And you're going to bring them in for me. It's not just going to be, Peter, wear this billboard on the front and the back. The end is nigh, says the Lord, and walk up and down the street with your banners and your placards. No, Peter, your very life is going to be the advert because my hand's going to be on it and it's going to make it. And you're going to fish men for me. You're not just going to jump up on a soapbox, but your life is going to be attractive and appealing and drawing. And this was the, this was the wonderful moment. The wonderful situation that he saw in his life. The journey was long for Peter. The transformation went through many, many different stages. Peter, on from this moment, just imagine this. On from this moment, Peter would get the high point of his life where he would say, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in the same sentence, Jesus would turn to him and say, get behind me, Satan. He went from up there to down there in less than a minute. 
because he was trying to hinder Jesus from achieving his work on this earth. And that, that journey of transformation in Peter's life, as in our lives, goes through its highs and it goes through its lows. And wherever you are today, whether you, you're at the high point or the low point in it all, don't be discouraged. Peter had to walk an unusual walk like we all walk. He would be the man that would deny Jesus three times. But this word in this boat on this day was final. Jesus said, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you, Peter. If I've got to rebuke you and correct you and tell you to get behind me, I'm still going to make you. I'm still going somewhere with your life, even to the point where you deny me and forsake me. Even when you're faithless, Peter, I will be faithful. I am going to make you. I've said I'm going to make you. And lo and behold, come what may, he will. He will do everything that he has promised to do. The Bible says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He really is. I'm going to ask James to come. We're going to close in just a, a moment. I wonder what God is maybe asking us to do that maybe we don't want to do. I wonder what issue God is asking for obedience in that we're objecting to. And there's that side and that tension in this situation where Jesus is calling out for obedience and there's a slight objection. There's a tussle, a wrestle where Peter's logic and reason steps in. But oh, the blessing that comes as a result of simple obedience. Simple obedience. One little step forward. One little act of faith brought down huge abundance, huge release. You know, it's only a little keyhole in which a key goes into to open such a big door. And it was like that for this man, just such a small little key, a small little release of his faith allowed such a wonderful avenue of God's blessing and God's abundance. What if Peter had said, we've toiled all night, Jesus, and for this reason, that reason, and many more reasons, I'm not letting down the net. You know, I, I do believe that Jesus would have had to just say, okay. He wouldn't have driven the point home and say, well, give me the net. I'll show you. No, let down your net, Peter. It's your net. Your will has to be involved in this. Your faith has to be involved in this. There has to be a real clear conviction and decision that it's my word that's coming and bringing you to this point and directing you in this. Peter, you have to go with this. Let down your net. This is not my net, Peter. This is your net. And Peter lets it down. And abundance comes. 
simple act of obedience. You know, there may be areas in our lives just that the Holy Spirit highlights. Holy Spirit highlights. And he says, look, take this step. It's not a giant leap. Take this step. With mustard seed like faith, you appropriate and apply and listen to the Word of God. In spite of all of your doubts, you say, nevertheless, I've got all these reasons why I shouldn't go this way. I've got all of these reasons stacked up, a list of them, why it's not going to work again. But nevertheless, at your Word, because you're doing the speaking, Jesus, I'm going to do it. And you watch. You watch. What will happen? What will take place? What God will provide? He really will. Today, we have to understand God's going to surprise you. Not just in a sacred place like this. Not in what you just associate God with. He's going to surprise you right out in the secular world. At your workstation, in your office space, in your college, university, walking down the street, in the petrol station, in the supermarket. God's going to surprise you. Why? Because God's there. Because you're there. And He wants you to be aware of that. He's going to surprise you. He really is. There's going to be a, the sacred and the secular are going to be one and the same thing. In Him we live. And move and have our being. That's what Paul was saying. There is no divide. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. As he is, so are we in this world. There's no divide. There's no separation. And these young disciples, these young men, as they followed Christ, they completely began to understand that. And the Bible says at the end of this day, they had no interest in the fish they'd caught. No interest. They were captured by the brilliance, by the revelation, by the outflow of Jesus' presence as Lord of all. And it says that, that, that they actually forgot about what they'd caught. They forsook it. Their interests weren't in that. They weren't thinking, oh, look, count the fish, pennies in the bank, pounds in the bank as a result of this huge abundance. No, their attention wasn't on the abundance. The, their attention was on the person that provided it. And that's what Jesus does, man. He can get you a new bike and he can do something incredible and something wonderful, but your interest will never be in the bike anymore. It'll be in the Lord and the master that provided it. It really will. It really will. And that's ahead of all of us. I'm telling you now, some of you are going to be completely surprised and shocked. I just gave you a little instance today. And I, if that's the only thing that I ever see God do, that's more than enough for me. That's more than enough for me. I'm telling you, I'm, I speak it over you. There's going to be things that are just going to awaken and surprise you and it will reduce you. You better get used to it. It's going to reduce you to a blubbering mess. He fell in the boat on his knees and begged Jesus to, to, to leave him without knowing that Jesus had actually come for him. I've come to seek and save you. There's no way 
that all of this stuff within you is going to ever turn me away or turn me off from you, Peter. That's why I'm here, mate. Going to change you. Going to transform you. That's what he does. That's who Jesus is. You are going to be shocked and surprised. Your, your, Your life road in front of you. I'm not talking about every day just waving God like a magic wand, but I'm telling you now, God loves you so much. He loves you and me so much that there's going to be moments and times where He just comes in and takes over and blesses you in a way that you just couldn't even dream or imagine. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you today for your precious people. Lord, I pray, wherever we're at in our lives, Lord, you know, you really do. You love us so much. Even when we think you're far away, that's when you're more near than ever. And Lord, I just pray as we go from this place that we would understand that just like those words you spoke to Peter, that you make us, you are making us and changing us and transforming us. And our lives are not just going to be a repeat and a rehearsal of of, of what's been, but our lives are becoming everything you've created them to be, your handiwork is in our lives. I pray for your people today. Holy Spirit, I ask you. In this moment. To comfort, counsel and change. Areas of our lives. You may be here today. And you've never prayed a prayer asking Jesus into your life. I'm going to give you a moment right now where you can do that. I'm going to pray with you. We're all going to pray together with you to ask Jesus into your life. When you ask Christ into your life, he's completely different to any other person. You may have had bad experiences with people. They may have walked into your life and kicked it about and made a shambles of it and used and abused it. Oh, Jesus is not like that. You invite Jesus in. My God. He's amazing. He's amazing. You know, you you invite him in. He's the one dependable person that will never fail you, forsake you, or leave you. People may have come and gone in your life. You feel cheap. You're not cheap. You're beautiful to God. Your life has such a wonderful value that he attributes to it. He gave his life blood for it just to show you, demonstrate how much he loves you and me. And today, listen, Jesus is at the end. He's at the end of just a simple prayer. You may be saying, depart from me just like Peter did. We've all done it. We've all had things in our lives that we feel we don't want God to look at. We don't want God to know about and we're ashamed of them. Oh God, don't look at this. And he says, no, I'll look at it. 
I'll get in the mess with you and help you through it. Love you. Not going to leave you. People will leave you. God won't. I'm going to pray a prayer. We're all going to pray it together. And if you've never prayed this prayer, you can pray it quietly or out loud with us. But believe it in your heart. And I'm telling you, immediately you will, you will have the peace of God in your heart as you leave this building today. Pray this prayer. Can we pray it out loud together today? Let's, let's, yeah, let's do it that way, James. I thank you. Jesus, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. Thank you today. I've heard that you love me. I've heard that you don't want to leave me. So I invite you to come into my life, to be my Savior, to be my Lord. Please forgive me of my sin. I look to you from this moment on as my Lord and my Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.